Yes. Wonderful. I encourage you if, <clears throat> as a side note, as, an, as elders, I encourage you that, uh, to let us know um, if this is your church. <laughs> um, we pray a lot for the people individually for this church. In fact, it's one of the responsibilities we have before the Lord is to exercise authority and to bless and to pray through uh, various issues we know going on in the body. So I encourage you, number one, if we don't know if you are a member or you are committed to this body, it means we're responsible for you to let us know that so we can pray for you. If we know that you're part of this body and you're going through something, you don't need to go through it alone. We believe what the Word of God says. We believe in, in coming together as a body. We believe in, in oversight. We believe in, in, in the uh, authority that God gives us as elders, not to lord it over, but to serve. And uh, you do not have to bear your burdens alone. It's a horrible thought that you would come with burdens and leave with them. The idea is obviously with each other. There's no doubt we need to unburden ourselves to each other. But I encourage you uh, to let us know the, the, the details. It is not a burden to us. It's a delight. That wasn't part of my sermon, by the way, so it doesn't count. <laughs> Wonderful. So we're back in James. I, I trust that that you've adjusted your ears and your senses to his directness. You Canadians out there, I take it that you have um, sort of given him a grace to speak plainly. Sometimes, you know, when you listen to the word or when you read the word, you're like, well, did he really say that? Like Paul in Galatians, you foolish Galatians. Well, what does foolish mean? You idiots? Wow. Did he really say that? He means something, there's something going on here that this guy wants to get across. And I remind us of the situation in James in AD 60 and around that time, the persecution. James is about to be murdered in two years. He doesn't know it in approximately 10 years, AD 70, that persecution will get so bad that the temple would be torn down. But there's this interesting prophetic urgency in his messaging that he has to speak directly. And I encourage you with the messages in James to not hear it for anyone else but yourself. You know, people often go, I need to get such and such to listen to that. I'm like, well, why don't you hear it for yourself? And the passage we're going to go through today, is, again, is familiar. Now, there's a problem with familiar passages. You know them. Remember Jesus? He couldn't do many miracles. Why? Because they were familiar with him in Nazareth. Well, that's Jesus. Familiarity can breed contempt. And so I encourage you to just incline your ear to what will be said here and what, what James will highlight. But this man is desperate for fruit to be born. He knows he may not be there long. It's like if you had your children and Josiah's 19 and I may never see him again. And he's going to, like, I don't know of the future. Well, I'm going to be far more focused on teaching him the word. Far more intense. And say, no, no, you don't understand. This is what's going to happen. So let's humble ourselves, Lord. We just come before you. We want to hear this message for ourselves. We thank you for your word. But we confess, unless you ignite it, unless you illuminate it, unless you just, your, your revelation come upon us, Lord, it will not profit us. One sows, another waters, but it's you, O Lord, alone that causes growth. So we yield ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Now, I've, I've stated this before, that James often parallels his half-brother Jesus. And there's, there's clear reasons for that, because he would obviously know him quite well. And Jesus talked a lot about wealth. 
versus poverty in his teachings. And money seems to be an issue regardless of tribe, tongue, nation, or time. Isn't it? There's always a warning. I think it tragically hips it at best. The things I do for money, I'll never understand. Oh, you, that's a Canadian band, by the way. But it's an interesting thing that regardless of tribe, tongue, nation, or time, money is an issue. Money can be an issue. Ecclesiastes will get in here. Ecclesiastes says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. It's folly. It's trying to renovate a house on fire. You're like, what are you doing? That's what he's saying. He's pleading. And this man was loaded. This is the Elon Musk plus of his time. Plus insane wisdom. And the familiar, just just before we even get into James, this is what Jesus has to say. Don't store up treasures on earth where moth eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasure in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there your desires of your heart will also be. Investing and pursuing wealth as a focal point is foolish. It won't last. You've heard the term, you can't take it with you. Have you guys heard of the Valley of the Kings in Egypt? Anyone? Tutankhamun? They discovered these incredible tombs of the pharaohs. Multi-room tombs filled with stuff. Some of them even had chariots, gold. At times, they would actually kill their servants and bury them with them. Why? So they could use them in the afterlife. But you know what they discovered? Tutankhamun was gone, but all the stuff was still there. He seemed to have forgotten it. You can't take it with you. He tried to test this theory, but you can't take it with you. Wealth is unstable. Economy's up and down. If you watch your, the stocks, are up, they, they, they're up right now, but they go up and down. And if your hope is in finances and money, you're, you will go up and down. You will ebb and flow. Invest in the kingdom of heaven. It's almost like a little money management here. Returns now and for eternity. It's intriguing to me that little one verse at the end, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. It's a money issue, heart heart issue with money. Where you put your finances, where you put your treasure, the heart is tied to it. I've often said this, uh, when God got my heart, he got my wallet. But before he got my heart, he did not get my wallet. And it's just something to keep in mind, the heart, it's always about the heart. Now, with that in mind, let's jump into James chapter 5, the last chapter. Amen? Praise the Lord. Come now, you rich people. Weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches are rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver are corroded and their corrosion will serve as a testimony against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is the last days that you have stored up your treasure. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Again, persecution is coming. And the focus of their lives is all about to be ripped away. Even before the Lord, riches profit not on the day of judgment. He highlights these three areas you can see. The crops, we know. 
They will rot. Crops were considered a wealth, a part of wealth. Fine linens, they will be moth-eaten. And their gold and their silver will rust, which is fascinating because gold and silver doesn't rust. And it's a testimony against them of the folly of their life, of what Ecclesiastes, about Solomon. If you read Solomon, he was the man that had everything. And at the end, it's still like, all is vanity. All is vanity. The pursuit of wealth as a focal point. Now, if it's not bad enough, he's going to challenge them not just on their wealth and their pursuit of wealth, that's their focal point, but how they obtain this wealth. Behold the pay of the laborers. Who mowed your fields, which has been withheld by you, cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of armies. You have lived for pleasure on the earth and lived luxuriously. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have, conde- you have condemned and put to death the righteous person. He offers you no resistance. These people have taken advantage of people to get their wealth, exploited them, not given them what they're due. And the cries of the, the, the people who have been unjustly treated hear the Lord. It's a bit like, remember, when in Exodus, when the Lord hears the cries of Israel. He says that to Moses. The Lord is aware of all of the injustice going on. He is not blind to it. And they've lived for self and not prepared for themselves the day they will meet God. I've noted in the culture that there's this weird longevity thing going on. Have you noticed that? You guys notice that guy with 80 million? He's a weird looking dude. Looks like an alien. And he takes 150 pills a day. Do you know that guy? Forgive me. You don't need to know. But, but anyway, he's trying to figure out, kind of live forever. This is eternal desire for eternal youth. I know we've always esteemed the youth, and the youth is where everyone wants to be. Getting old is not a good thing in the culture. And it's only gotten worse lately. Just, it's just a very interesting thing. But it's all about now, living for this life. The focal point of this life. And he's challenging them on this. They've lived for pleasures alone, not realizing they will stand before God. Pretty intense passage we've got here. It'd be interesting having this read out and be like, who's he talking? <laughs> who's, who's being talked to here? Now, Certainly many of us here would not relate to the excessive wealth that he may be referring to. But I do think we can learn from something in this passage that can relate to everyone in the room. The pursuit of finances as a focal point and all that it brings, it's kind of in the air we breathe. You know? Breathing it in? Kind of in the atmosphere of the first world in particular. I'm sure it's in other, other countries, but... Certainly in the first world, it's a pursuit. And I think we, we can look a little closer here around money to see, because it's, especially in Vancouver, it's expensive to live here, dude. I don't know how you guys grew up in your homes, if they were nice homes. My parents thought a lot about money. Money's a stress. And the Lord talks a lot about money. And James is going to talk about money. Paul talks about money. And it's something we should get a handle on, have a doctrine around to not think yourself strong lest you fall. Again, you can hear it for other people, but how about you? We are hearers of the word, but are you a doer of the word? You can hear the word and not do it, and then you deceive yourself because you've got all the theology, but none of the action. But because you have the theology, you think you're good. 
I've got all the right answers for the essay. It's a bit like when my son does a multiple choice, and he likes those, and he does 50 questions, regurgitates a note, and of course he forgets the rest. It's the application that's the key in all of this. We look at Paul, give him some insights to Timothy here. Those who want to be rich, however, fall into temptation and become ensnared by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. By craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. We see that on display today in the culture we're in. We see that the love of money is the, is the root of all kinds of things. And, and it's quite horrifying to see it when it's also in the church, when it invades into the church. You cannot serve two masters when it starts to take over. And you may not have ever had opportunity for money, so this is not a temptation for you. And it's easy to look at the whole 1%. Remember that was pretty trendy at one time? Want to hang the rich? Remember, you see that in America, Wall Street? But guess what? You're probably part of the 1%. All the protesters with their $1,200 iPhones and their $5 lattes talking about how oppressed they are. You'll see what unthankfulness gives you, isn't it? But the, it, it, to guard ourselves in this, because you may be to be tested, and everyone's like, I'd like to be tested. <laughs> Test me in this, O oh Lord. But you, O oh man of God, flee from these things and pursue. Flee from these things and pursue what? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you've been called when you made the good confession before many witnesses. It's a very simple life. I was just talking before the meeting with, with some people about the simplicity of when you finally give in to Jesus. Tolstoy in his book, Resurrection, it's a great book, uh, and he speaks of one of the rebels that was finally caught, and there was a relief that he could no longer has to keep running and hiding. When you no longer have to be the Lord of your life, when you can give in and let him be Lord of your life and begin to trust him for these things. What is true value? We see from Peter here what true value in God's eyes 1 Peter 1.17, if you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. I like that, in your time of stay. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from the futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. That's what matters. That's what, is, that's what in the spiritual realm, if you can look into the spiritual realm of what matters, this is what matters to God. Many times in my own prayer life, I'm asking God, help me align with what matters to you. I know what matters to me. But when I want to pray like this week, I'm like, okay, I got, I got ideas of what the problems are. But what are the problems? Or, or help me align with where you put weight. Like what really matters to you, Lord? I don't want to invest in in that uh, Briex, at least when I was young. I don't know, what's the, what's the latest guy with the scam that went on with the, um, the crypto guy, right? He promised, I mean, the guys were loaded. You, if you, 
probably many of you didn't hear about this unless you were invested in it. But you can, you can do the scam. I mean, Satan can deceive you into investing into a burning home. And, and, and this is what happened. I mean, th- these people invested. He promised multiple things. It was a Ponzi scheme. And this is what happens multiple times when it comes to temporal and eternal things. That we see where the value is. Jesus meets a guy, he's called the rich young ruler. I don't know, he's a guy with money. And he tells him, the rich young ruler says to him, I basically fulfilled the law. I've done it all. I've done this, this, and this. And Jesus says, great, go sell all you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. Now, very rarely does Jesus invite people to come follow him. Many times it's go back, it's do this. And that. But he says to this man, come follow me, but you must sell all you have. He was putting his finger on this subject. He was challenging him in this. And this is what he says afterwards. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Why? Because when you come to Jesus, everything is given to him. Everything comes under his authority. Everything is at his means to to do with it what he will. Your time and your money, your children, your home, it all comes to because he's Lord, he's king. So the more that you have, the more difficult it will be once that revelation comes. If we just look at ourselves and our surroundings, this is why it's more difficult. Those who heard it asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. That's a true statement. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, No one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. It's not a bad thing to look at it like investing. You've got X amount of hours, 7 times 24. We all got 7 times 24 hours this week. How will you invest that time? You get the return of how well you invest it. Do you know what you're doing? Do you squander? It's the same with money. It's the same with all of these things, the attention. But remember, it all comes back to the heart. Who do you love? Remember when Jesus asked Peter that? He's about to go. Kind of starts to annoy him a bit. Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, Lord, you know I love you. Right? It's about the heart. The Lord's testing his heart. Testing his heart. We have to be very careful of what gets in here. Because you know what opens it up? The things like the pain and this, the, the, the pain of life, the hurts, the pains, all that. Either callous it or they, they, they open it to things that are unhelpful. So when I look at all this, I'm like, well, what are wealthy people supposed to do? Because dear God, send us wealthy people. The kingdom needs money. No, I'm just being straight with you. There is instruction. Instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be conceited and not to put their hope in the uncertainty of wealth. But in God, who richly provides all things for us to enjoy, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, treasuring up for themselves a firm foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. 
Remember how earlier in the book that James said, he says, bless the, the poor for they are rich in faith. The one thing that poverty or lack of money does, it does build your faith. I think you have to have an incredible strength to be wealthy and to serve God. Don't underestimate that. It's like a heavy anointing. You have to be so focused and so submitted because at any time at your doorstep, the ease is there. Distraction is there. You're not distracted to go on a vacation to Hawaii because you can't even afford it. But what if you could? What if you could afford to do anything? What if you could afford to? That is a heavy weight. That is a burden to me in many ways. And I've heard, uh, my brother told me of a gentleman out, and that is just incredible how people can walk this out so well in the kingdom. And I do commend those who are wealthy and do walk this out um, because it is like an anointing. To me, it's like a prophetic gift. It's like a gift of healing. It's like a, it's a gift being given for the furtherance of the kingdom. And God knows we need all of the gifts, both the practical and the spiritual, which is practical, to be released. Amen? Be aware of the blessings of God. This is kind of a side one, but I often think of this one. Beware of the blessings of God becoming a means of our focus in idolatry. The stuff. You know, it's, you don't, not idol, it's, it's, you don't struggle with idolatry when there's nothing to worship, as it were. Do you know what I mean? But when you start to gather stuff, if you come into things, and the thing I think of often is the, in Exodus, the golden calf. You guys know that story? It's the most bizarre thing. But the Lord's, uh, Moses is gone for a while, 40 years, right? Like, he's gone. So we're going to have to build a, a god, right? And they want to worship the god. Now, these are pagan-minded people. Yes, they're of the promise of Abraham, but they've been in many years in bondage, and they've absorbed in other things around them. And it was the worship of calves. But they took what God had given them to create the idol, which I find interesting. I know it's a, it's a very direct interpretation, but if you look here, they took the blessings. Now, the sons of Israel had been had done according to the word of Moses, for they had requested from the Egyptians articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so they let them have the request. Therefore, they plundered Egypt. So God blessed them with this, but they actually created an idol. Let's be very careful. Like I say, when Lisa and I were going to school, we, just, we had nothing but uh, student loan debt and so on. It was very simple. But as you garner and as you gain, as you get things, be aware of how they can ease themselves in there and just take us away. I encourage you with that. Even Abraham was tested on his heart. Remember that? Promised a son. Takes him how many years to get the son? Ten years? His wife had a suggestion he didn't seem to have any issue with in between the ten years. And think of that if he had not given into that, how much simpler life would have been for the planet. But he says, when he gets that son, say he's eight or ten years old, he says, take your son, your only son, whom you love. God will always test the heart. This whole thing is all about the heart. I'm going to land the ship with uh, Jesus here in conclusion. And I think it's fitting to, in the same Matthew 6, just to look at the scripture here. Why do you worry about clothes? Um, okay. 
Consider how lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his glory was adorned like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore, in light of what he's just said, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles strive after all of these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Do you have a good father in heaven? Do you have someone who cares for you? You say, well, let me just back this up. Yes, I do. If he freely gave you his son first, will he not freely give you all things? Is he not a good father? He is telling us, well, his son is telling us here to stop worrying about these things like the Gentiles do. To put these things aside and have in the center of your focus the kingdom. Paul calls it, calls it, says, I press on towards the mark of the high call. You will find peace there. How many of us who have deviated from that being central in our life are doing great? Anxiety comes in. Fear comes in. Why? Because it's in the atmosphere. Whatever the atmosphere you live in, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, all of these things that are just this Molotov cocktail waiting for us as we deviate, as we drift away, God is calling us back central. In the Old Testament, Malachi 3, he says, even test me on this. And dare I say, can I say that? Lord, they would test you. When is the last time you had faith in Jesus Christ? Faith the substance of things hoped for, the very evidence of things unseen. Conviction. This is what he's getting at. Oh, you of little faith. Comes down to heart and faith. Do you believe? Are you still a victim of the world? Are you victorious in Christ? Who defines you? The culture or who we are in Christ? This is critical to us in walking in sustained victory rather than this up and down walk focused on what the kingdom of God. God wants us to focus. Then we do the impossible. Where was Peter looking when he walked on water? We know these stories, guys. He did what is impossible because he was focused on Christ. Is your head filled with the waves the upcoming elections in Canada and America? Are you tweeting about all of the various conspiracies? Are you caught up in what potentially would be COVID? Are you caught up in the economy, the interest rate? What is it, all the, all the waves, all the storms? You don't think they had it. These guys were under persecution. James doesn't even reference it. Paul, read his epistles. The people, Nero burnt Christians to the stake. He would light the, the, the Rome at night with Christians on fire. He just, it's barely passing. These light and momentary afflictions do not even be compared to the glory that we receive. You're like, what are you talking about? What did he see of Christ? If Paul were here and you're looking at him with all the scars and you're like, shipwrecked, beaten, okay, whipped, okay. Like, what Jesus are you serving, bro? 
What did you see? That one would forsake their lives, would lay it all down, would forsake, oh, Paul, he, in one, one day on Acts 9, he just forsakes and follows Christ. Lord, let that revelation pierce every heart in this room. Mine included, Lord. That the folly, that this testimony of folly, of fine linens, of all the vehicles, of nice cars, of, of houses, of gold, it's a testimony to their folly, is what James is saying. You are forfeiting that which is eternal for something that's temporal. The only thing you can take with you that I can see in the Scripture is other people. That's it. That's the only thing you can take with you. And if, if James were here, if, if, if Solomon were here, he'd just be appealing to you. To, as old men, they'd be sitting here going, it's folly. It's chasing after wind. It's folly. But consider this message from James. It's one that's very familiar to us. And we often just think it's talking about the 1%, the rich people. It's talking about each one in this room. This is to us. Again, you'll wonder why. Why is it not working? It's because you're serving God in money. You're double-minded. This is all what James has said in this book. Let's stand together, please. Thank you, Lord. If you could close your eyes with me. I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to ask the team to come up, but... If you have given into fear, you just need to repent. Lord, forgive me of fear. Forgive me for not trusting your words. Forgive me for believing the lies of the enemy in this culture. I repent. And Lord, we ask you, break off fear in Jesus' name. We are the head and not the tail. We've got nothing to be ashamed of. We boast in Christ. So we just pray, Father, for breakthrough in areas of fear. Lord, I ask you where there's lack of faith, Lord, that you'd forgive our unbelief. Forgive us for caving. Forgive us for double-mindedness. Forgive us for idolatry. Forgive us for pursuing that which is not of the kingdom. Lord, we desire simplicity of our lives. We desire righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. We desire that which is from above. So we ask, Lord God, that you'd move upon us that you would lead us in repentance, that you would help us in these areas, Lord, that are so ingrained in us. We just lay our lives down. We lay our lives, we lay our children down. We lay our bank accounts down at your feet. We lay our possessions down at your feet. It is no sacrifice in light of all that you are. We exalt your name. We exalt your name. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.